Good morning. I'd like to welcome each one here. <clears throat> Every time I'm up here, I think it's going to get better, but still just as nerve-wracking. I've always been terrified of crowds, I guess, so something that doesn't change. But I want to serve you guys, and uh, I think this is what the Lord has called me to here, so it's what I will attempt to do, continue doing. I'm thankful that the Lord uses weak and unqualified feeling men to do His work, and it's a privilege. So I pray that you will be blessed today might all together be edified in, in the worship of the Lord and truth. Today we'll continue to study the book of John. In today's portion we come to where John the Baptist introduces Jesus to two of his disciples. They are at this point still disciples of John the Baptist. They are following him and helping him in his ministry. But now they will come in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and they will be changed forever. So I would encourage you to turn to your, in your Bibles, John 1. In this chapter... John tells about a few witnessing encounters that John the Baptist had. All three of these events are evangelistic in nature. He seeks to point out Christ to them and to magnify Christ. The first one we find in verse 19 and is goes through through 28. This is where he witnesses to a group of Jewish leaders. And he starts by sharing his testimony. His audience is made up of a number of officials sent out by Jews to interrogate him. And here he tells them of his identity and authority for baptizing. So in this first encounter, he tells the Jewish delegates about the coming one. He tells them about a prophesied forerunner which he will point out is himself. He here applies that prophecy to himself. And he says, I am the forerunner. John is calling, John's calling and purpose is to prepare the people for his coming. And he tells them about the Messiah, the Great One, whose sandals he is unworthy to untie. And he tells them, this is what you should expect. This is how he will look. Get ready for the coming one. And then in the second one, which is verses 29 through 34, we read about the second day of John's witness. In the first, he prepares them and tells them he is coming. And this is how he will look. In the second one, John proclaims Christ to them. In verse 29, he exclaims, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in this instance, he says, look, here he is. This is the Messiah, the promised one. This is the Lamb we have been waiting for, who will take away the sin of the world. Then we read in verse 34 where he says, For this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And that is the purpose. His goal is to witness to them. And John's purpose is to evangelize. So obviously his main goal is not to draw attention to himself, as we'll see in our passage today. He turns the spotlight on Jesus. Verse 33, he says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, and I have seen this, he says, and he has borne witness that the Son, that this is the Son of God. He is not one bit hesitant, he is not in doubt, but is fully convinced this is the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed One, as it says elsewhere. This then brings us to our text for today, which starts in verse 35. It says, The next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard, heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's ask the Lord, bless our time this morning. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us once again. Thank you for your powerful grace, which saves us. I ask that you would open your word to us today, cause us to have ears to hear, and eyes to see your truth. Give us a hunger for your word and a hunger for your truth, Lord. Grant me wisdom to understand your word, also to explain it in a manner that is understandable and that is glorifying to you, Lord. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. So let's take a closer look at our text what is it about? There are a couple things. First of all, it is about John's John the Baptist's witness. Sorry, 
John is preaching the Messiah to his people. Second, it is about Jesus' future disciples coming to him. At least two of his disciples. And third, it is about evangelism. Immediately after meeting Jesus, Andrew sets out to find his brother to bring him to the Messiah. And so this is now the third day of John's witness. He witnessed to three separate groups in three consecutive days. The first starts in verse 19 and ends in 28. The second day starts in 29 and it ends in verse 34. And then the third day, our text for today, verse 35 and ending in verse 42. So verse 35, he starts with the next day, meaning that we are in a new day again. This is now the third day and the third audience that John the Baptist is addressing. He says again, John was standing with two of his disciples. When John here says again, I believe he is simply referring back to verse 29 where John says similar things. Specifically the statement, Behold the Lamb of God. And then John repeats this, of course, in verse 36. Verse 35, we have again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist had disciples as well. Quite a few of John's followers would eventually become disciples of Jesus. This is a great example that John will set for us. He understands that his ministry is fading away since the Messiah has come and is now on the scene. Everything John says and does points to that end. Here in our text, he seeks to draw attention to Jesus, and this is a clear picture of John's humility. He introduces Jesus to his disciples, indicating his purpose has been fulfilled. He has prepared them for the coming one, and now that he is here, John wastes no time making sure that they go after Jesus instead. After this event, John the Baptist sort of fades into the background. And the focus is Jesus, of course. Verse 36, and he looked at Jesus. I think this kind of looking we could assume means looking at Jesus in faith. If you look at it closely, he makes a a profession of faith here. At the end of the verse, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. So he understands who Jesus is, and he professes him. This is a correct understanding of who Jesus is, and he places faith in the Messiah. He is looking at Jesus and has faith in him, and here he shares his faith with his followers. This is the example that he is setting for us. This is how the family of God expands. This is how God's kingdom advances, one soul at a time. It starts with individuals who are selfless and willing to share their faith with others. After all, this is a gift of God. 
Salvation is a gift from God, and so is the faith that we have in Him. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, if you will, just for a moment. These are very familiar verses here. Verses 8, 9, and 10. They seem to get quoted at almost every baptism service anyways. Verse 8, he starts with, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So this is justification by faith through grace alone. And then Paul says, This is not your own doing. And I believe this is referring back to salvation, grace, and faith. All of the preceding. So every element involved in salvation is a gift from God. In verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the reason no one may boast is because there are th- these things are granted to us by God and are from God. And then verse 10, 4. So in other words, this is the purpose. For this purpose, or for this reason, John is sharing his faith with his disciples. For we are his workmanship. Paul says, created in Christ Jesus. This is the purpose of God for everyone that he saves. He could have saved us and immediately called us to heaven. But his desire was that we would serve him here on earth and fulfill his purpose. To further his kingdom. and To bring the lost to the shepherd. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works, God decreed that we should walk in them. This is is exactly what John is doing here. He is talking to his followers and as Jesus is walking by, he sees an opportunity to declare him to them. And so he pronounces, Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37, back in our text here, we see the response to John's words. It says, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. In this passage, we will see the Christian response to the presentation of the gospel in a person. What do I mean by this? By this I mean when we preach the gospel, we are preaching a person. The gospel is summed up in Jesus Christ. So to preach the gospel is to preach Christ. And this is what John does here. He preaches the gospel to them by presenting them to Christ. And this is a central focus of John the Baptist and of John the author as well. So this is consistent with the entire gospel of John. If you look at chapter 20 of this book, these are verses often quoted when talking about this gospel and its scope and goal, I guess. 
for writing it. John 20, verse 30 and 31, but especially 31. Starting in verse 30, though, Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Then verse 31, But these, these, he is referring to what comes before. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This verse, I believe, would indicate that this book is evangelistic in nature as a whole. He seeks to evangelize with this book. The book as a whole has a constant focus on who Jesus is and that we would believe in him. So John the Baptist does exactly that too. He not only shows Jesus to his disciples, but also tells them who he is in this statement. Going on in verse 37 of chapter 1. says the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus and then 38 here is Jesus's response it says Jesus turned and saw them following so he notices them following him and he says to them what are you seeking what are you seeking this is an interesting question Jesus recognizes they are seeking something And as the God-man, he knows all things. He knows the hearts of men. He does not ask because he doesn't know. Rather, he wants to get a confession of faith out of them. That, I think, is usually the reason why he asks. For example, when the woman with the blood discharge touches his garment, he senses that power has gone out from him. He knew who had touched him. But he also wanted her to confess faith in him. This is found in Luke 8:48 where it says, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." This is after he has she has come back to him and has confessed So the disciples answer Jesus at the end of verse 38 and they say to him and they said to him rabbi which means teacher this is a very common title of the Jews in addressing their teachers it is a term used to show honor and respect but it could also be translated master it is a beautiful term used all the time by the disciples to address Jesus. And so they ask him, Where are you staying? This is to say, We have many questions. Where are you staying so we can go there and talk with you? So this is what then happens. He invites them over. We're not told here whose house this is. It's most likely a friend's house of Jesus. But he invites them to stay over. And then verse 39, it says, He said to them, 
Come and you will see. So, so they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. And for it was about the tenth hour. I believe John is most likely one of those that heard John say this and followed Jesus because he knows the exact time this happened. The tenth hour here is probably around 4 p.m. our time. This is if John is using the Jewish way of telling time. The Jews would divide their days into 12 hours, starting about 6 a.m. around daylight. So the day would start at daylight, and then the tenth hour would be about 4 in the afternoon. But if John was using the Romans' way of telling time, which is how we tell time nowadays, starting at midnight, the tenth hour would be about 10 a.m., but either way, they stay with him that day. And it was about the tenth hour, it says. So that day and maybe the night, we're not sure. But they stayed with him. And we can only imagine what would have happened in the span of the day and the night. No doubt they would have visited through the day and perhaps the night as well. Just thinking about being with the incarnate Son of God face to face. I don't think we would be thinking about sleep too much. Being able to spend a day with Him, just to ask questions and talk with Him in fellowship, what a day that would be. But one of those who heard Jesus say this is identified here in verse 40 said one, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew. And this is Simon Peter's brother. So John here calls Peter Simon Peter. To this point he has been called Simon. But John is writing after all these events. And so he is well aware of the name change here. He knows that he will later be called Peter because the Lord will change his name. So Peter is the brother of Andrew as we see in verse 41. So he that An says he, that is Andrew, first found his own brother Simon. And I love this. He has found good news and he can't keep it within himself. So he has to tell someone and he goes and finds his brother. And he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is evangelism. He looks for his brother, and when he sees him, he proclaims, I have found the Messiah. And then verse 42 says he brings him to Jesus. This is one saint bringing his brother to Christ. This is soul winning leading others to Christ. And this is exactly how the kingdom of God gets expanded, one soul at a time. Someone gets saved by hearing the good news of Christ, and his thankful heart is so overflowing, he has to share that good news with others. 
And who better to find than your own brother and share that news with him? Further on in verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This gives us an insight into the knowledge of our Lord. He knows it is Simon, and he knows who his parents are even. And then he prophesies Peter's future. He says you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. No doubt the Lord knows exactly who Peter is and who he is going to be. It will be a long process of transforming him from who he currently is to the Peter that will be like a rock. At the start of, of Jesus' ministry, Peter is this daring, speak first, think later, not afraid to rebuke the Lord himself, if necessary, he thinks. He is always the first to speak, and often, oftentimes seems to speak for every one of the disciples. This hasn't really changed too much by the end of of Jesus' ministry, but by the time you get to the book of Acts, although he is still the first to speak here, something is different. He has become wiser, and he is now filled with the Holy Spirit, and it has really impacted him. Then in Acts 2, he gives us the greatest sermon in history, I think, ever recorded. But this is the rock that Jesus is referring to here and is is prophesying he will become the great leader of the church. Sometimes I think we want to downplay Peter's role in the church simply because of the Roman Catholics' abuse of him. And as a result, we are tempted to try to minimize him. They have so elevated him to the level of an idol almost that it is reprehensible. And the Catholic Church is full of idols and nothing short of worshipping saints and Mary as well. They will tell you it is veneration of saints. It is honoring the saints. But this is a practice of the Roman Catholic Church where they will Honor the saints, but biblically, if you bow before statues of saints and Mary, I think you are worshipping, and that is idolatry. They will also claim that Peter is the first pope. This is, of course, a great anachronism. They are reading modern concepts of the papacy back into the early church. The apostles had no idea of one pope or one leader or one monarch over all of the church. They had one head of the church, and that was Christ. But they view Peter as the first pope, and then all other popes succeed, are in succession to Peter. But this is a great abuse and misuse of the truth and of Scripture. 
But the abuse of a truth does not invalidate the truth itself. The truth remains. He was a great leader. We need to remember that. But we don't have to violate scriptures and put these men on pedestals unnecessarily. But Jesus says, You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. There is authority in these words. He says, You shall be called Jesus is Lord over all human affairs, including even his future disciples' name. He also has the right to change people's names, and we should be thankful for that. He is not only able to change names, but also character and hearts. And he does this thankfully. He does so for all of us who are believers. He slowly but surely changes us to be more and more conformed to his own image. He is powerful and he is willing to change us. One of the ways he changes us is through evangelism, I think. This is one of the most bubble-bursting, faith-stretching of all that we are called to, to share the good news to a dying world. This means that the world will hate us and that people will not like us. And they will ridicule us and mock us for the sake of his name. But remember one thing. The Lord warned us about this, that this would happen. The rebel against God does not like to be told that he is a rebel. He doesn't like to be exposed to God's perfect holiness. And so obviously it is offensive. But it is also a tremendous privilege to share the good news with the lost because it is equally rewarding when lost souls are turned to Christ in repentance and faith. But I would like to finish with this exhortation. Share the good news with this world. Preach the gospel. Find a brother or a friend or a stranger. and Just preach the news the good news to them of salvation and freedom in Christ. Freedom from the bondage of sin and freedom to love God as He commands. Let us close with a word of prayer. Lord, again, I thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank you so much for your word, for the examples in our passage today, the example of evangelism and of the disciples' self, excuse me, selflessness, selflessness. May we too walk in the same way, overflowed with thankfulness and joy of our salvation. So great a gift, so great a salvation. Let us not become selfish and keep this amazing news to ourselves. Lord, if there are any here today who do not believe, I ask that you would call them to yourself, Lord. ask that you would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, and that you might reveal yourself, your glorious 
radiance to them as well, that they may become saved. Call sinners to yourselves now. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.